Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our copies of God's Word in hand and open to the New Testament book of James. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are a few Bibles available. We're in the first chapter of James and the 22nd verse. We're still in our What is the Gospel series. In fact, it's the fifth and final sermon in that series. The title of the message today is Hearing and Doing. Now, James is perhaps most famous for its insistence that genuine faith be accompanied by fruit. James says faith without works is dead. Similarly, in our text this morning, James points out the futility of hearing God's word day after day, week after week, year after year, and not obeying it. So let's read James chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now you might hear James saying that it's not that important to hear the word. Please don't hear it that way. That's not what he's saying. The Bible clearly teaches that there is a necessity of hearing God's word. Now we have to be careful with people that claim to have a word from God, right? That, that person always says, God told me to tell you, run from that person. God has revealed himself primarily through the scriptures. Remember question one, all the way back five weeks ago, to whom is humanity accountable? God, but the God who reveals himself where? In the Bible, in the scripture. So why do we need to hear God's word? Well, a number of reasons. First of all, for hope and guidance. Had not God revealed himself to us, we would be alone and wandering in the darkness. Uh, the nation of Israel found themselves like that from time to time. When God removed his voice from them, they rambled, they wandered, they went astray. David said in Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And those days they did not have electricity, obviously. They did not have million candle um, lights that could show 100 yards into the future down the path. They had little simple oil lamps. And they would light that lamp and it would give enough light for one step. And when you took that one step, you could see the next step. And that way you could make your journey. God's word is like that. It doesn't tell us exactly what the future is like. But as long as we walk in step with the spirit, the Lord guides our paths. So we need his hope and guidance. But sometimes because of our own sin, God judges his people by withholding hearing of his voice. Amos 8.11 we studied a few weeks, uh, years ago here one summer. It says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. Now, this past week, we host an expository preaching conference right here in this room, and we had nearly 250 pastors from 14 different states. And our guest lecturer was Dr. Steve Lawson, who is a wonderful preaching teacher. 
And he wrote a book years ago that had a big impact on me called Famine in the Land. And he said one of the evidences of God's judgment upon our land is the lack of clear biblical preaching in our pulpits. Men who will stand up and say, thus says the Lord. We need the word of God. We need to hear it for guidance, for comfort, but most importantly, for salvation. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And we saw this is God's plan and his sovereignty to redeem individuals. Question four, how is salvation appropriated? We saw in Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15. Now, when John had been taken into custody, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God. What is preaching other than proclaiming the word of God? And when we proclaim it, people hear it. Verse 15 says, and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus Christ proclaimed God's word and then he called for a response. Faith and repentance. What is the proper response to the gospel message? To so the first three questions being answered, it's turning from sin and turning by faith, trusting in Christ. Now, everyone who hears the gospel let me say it this way. Not everyone who hears the gospel will become a follower of Christ. But no one will become a follower of Christ without hearing the gospel, right? And so that's why it's essential that we hear. So don't hear Brother James saying it's not important to hear. He's just saying, secondly, there is a danger in only hearing the word. Verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. He's saying it's not enough to hear God's word. The key phrase there, underline it in your Bible, highlight it, merely hearers. Merely means just or only. So what is the danger? Well, he tells us it's delusion, which means self-deception. How can we be deceived by only hearing the word? Well, I think there's a lot of possibilities. He doesn't tell us exactly, but I think we can read between the lines. Number one, we deceive ourselves having heard the word that our duty is done. You know people like that. They never miss church. They're here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Bible school. Um, when I was growing up, Sunday school and uh, Sunday evening service. And, and so they think, well, I've heard the word. Maybe they even read a few verses every day. And they say, having done that, I've done my duty. That's all the Lord requires of me. And that's deceptive because the Bible says having heard the word then we become responsible for that word to be doers of it and obedient to it. I think secondly and I think this is more common the way that people who hear the word only deceive themselves is that the message is for someone else and not you. How many times have I heard someone say after a message boy that was a good message I wish so and so had been here to hear it rather than what does this say to me and how, how should I change? In fact, listening to sermons in some circles is, is sort of a spectator sport, right? Uh, the old joke is that uh, Baptists come to church and listen to the sermon and they go have the preacher for lunch, right? They dissect him and say whether they liked it, give him the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Well, this has been going on for hundreds of years, at least all the way back to Charles Spurgeon, because I read a quote this week about Spurgeon's own preaching where he said this, quote, hearing is often merely a critical exercise. And the question after a sermon is not, 
how was that truth fitted to my case, but how did you like him? As if that had anything to do with it. Now, when you hear music, do you ask, how did you like the trumpet? No, it's the music, not the instrument that your mind thinks about. Yet will persons always consider the minister rather than the message. Many contrast one preacher with another when they had better contrast themselves with the word of God. Thus, hearing the gospel is degraded into a pastime and judged to be little better than a theatrical entertainment. Such things, brothers, must not be, end quote. He's talking about being a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. Well, that's a good sermon or that's a bad sermon. That must have been for that person over there who was absent today. No, coming to the service, asking the Lord humbly, Lord, change me today. What do you want me to learn? How do you want me to change for having been here today? Now, James illustrates, thirdly, his point, the illustration of only hearing beginning in verse 23. Look at it. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So the illustration James used is of a mirror. Now, what is the purpose of a mirror? Well, it helps us know the truth about ourselves, right? Which is why many of us tend to avoid them. But that's true spiritually as well as physically. The Bible exposes our sinfulness, doesn't it? And so many people avoid hearing the Bible. They just stop their ears. Remember in the Old Testament, there were prophets who would say that God's going to send judgment on the land if you don't repent. What do the people do? They stop their ears and they said, prophesy to us smooth things, not these hard things. Tell us it's all going to be all right. In other words, people don't flock to hear that which exposes their sin. But even those that regularly are reading the word or, or coming to church can be guilty of being hearers only. It's not just the people that avoid church. And I think in two ways, people that attend church regularly can be just hearers and not doers. Number one is by not looking into the mirror long enough. If the word of God is a mirror to our soul, and the Bible says it is, its purpose is to show us we're dirty, we don't look long enough into it. That is, we take but fleeting glances at ourselves in the mirror. He doesn't dwell upon it. Therefore, his look is superficial and too hasty. Now contrast that to what David writes in the very first Psalm. Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's God's word. And in his law, he what? meditates day and night. That's not a hasty look. That's a long introspective look into the mirror of God's word. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Now, a second way in which we can be hearers, even when we're here every week, is that we become forgetful about what we see in the mirror. Now, we don't fault people for being forgetful, at least I don't since I turned 50, because uh, it's part of growing older for most of us. Maybe when you were younger, you thought that was a wives' tale and your uh, parents and grandparents just weren't paying attention to what you said, but it's true that our short-term memory gets worse as we get older. And he's not making fun of people who have memory problems. 
He's saying that we can look in the mirror and not do anything about what we see. We just look and see, hey, I've got dirt on my face, but never do anything about it. Friends, there's a reason that there's a mirror over your sink. Because the moment you see the dirt on your face, you can wash it off. And so that's the purpose of the law, isn't it? It's a mirror to our soul that shows us we're dirty. The mirror can't clean you up. You have to have the gospel. You have to have the blood of Christ applied to your life. So what should we do when the word, the mirror of the soul reveals sin? Well, Jesus said, turn from sin, repent, and put faith in Christ. Now, there are those who see their dirty face and they say, ah, the blood of Christ could fix that, right? That's the parable of the soils Jesus talked about. There's four different kinds of soils. The only one though that was truly converted, is the one that put down roots and bore fruit. The others had a too hasty of a glance into God's law, or else they forgot what they saw and walked away without applying the blood of Christ to their sin. Now, the fourth thing I want to look at, though, is not only is uh, there a problem, even in the church, of people being hearers only, but the positive side of that, that there is a blessing, James records here, of hearing and doing. It's important that we hear. We must hear, else we can't be saved, but it's not enough to hear. We must be doers of God's word. And there is a blessing afforded to those who are hearers and doers. Verse 25. But, and that's a word of contrast, that is, in contrast to those who hear only, one, that's a hypothetical person, who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now, what does it mean to look intently? Remember I said that one of the problems we have is too hasty a look into God's word? Here's a person that looks intently into God's word. That is, he meditates on it, he thinks about it deeply. And it puts me in mind of Acts chapter 17. You don't have to turn there. And when the Apostle Paul was on one of his missionary journeys, he came to a city called Berea. And at Berea, he did what he often did. He went to the synagogue where his Jewish brethren had gathered around the Old Testament and began to preach. Now listen to this. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness. They heard it examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with the number of prominent Greek women and men. And so he's contrasting how the Bereans look deeply, daily. Paul would preach and they'd go home and look at their Bibles and say, hey, does this line up with God's word? And when it did, they came back and heard him again. And eventually many of them came to saving faith. That's what it means to look intently at the perfect Law, this law of liberty, Paul calls it. What is the law of liberty, by the way? That's the gospel. Remember, the Old Testament law had no ability to save. In fact, we studied in the book of Romans, it really had the opposite effect. Uh, we couldn't obey it. Therefore, we were prisoners to our own sin. But the law of liberty, liberty means to be set free, right? Isn't that what the gospel does to one who is captive to their own sin? When they put their faith and trust in Christ, they are set free from the kingdom of darkness 
and they are adopted into God's family, and now they're free to obey and free to serve. See, law and liberty are opposite things, but law here is not talking about a codified system. It's talking about a principle. The principle of the gospel sets people free. The Old Testament law set no one free, but the gospel sets all men free who will obey it. He will bless that man, the scripture says, in what he does. It doesn't say everything he does is going to turn out roses, or he's like King Midas, everything he touches turns to gold. It means through his life, he has the blessing of God upon him. Now, what does that have to do with our series, What is the Gospel? Well, let me make some application this morning, then Brother Lawrence is going to come up and speak. Those in this room who have been sitting under the gospel message for years, or at least the last five weeks, know the answers intellectually to the four core questions we've asked through this series. Question number one, to whom is humanity accountable? God, but not just any God, the God that is revealed in the Bible. Our creator who is merciful, slow to anger, who will by no means justify the ungodly. Two, what is man's essential problem? Himself, man, he's a sinner. What has God done about the problem? Christ, he sent his son into the world to live a perfect life and die a substitutionary atoning death on the cross. And then fourthly, how does man get in on that gift? It's by repentance and faith. This is the response. The four answers, God, man, Christ, response. And if you're here today and you've never taken that fourth step, you're what James calls a hearer of the word only. There is no blessing attached to simply hearing the word and not responding to it. In fact, it's just the opposite. I've often said that I think one of the most dangerous places in the United States of America is right in this room. Because the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. When the Bible talks about awards in heaven, rewards in heaven, and it talks about degrees of punishment in hell, and it certainly does. Those degrees of punishment seem to be based upon access we had to the gospel. And those of you that can sit in a Southern Baptist church in the buckle of the Bible belt and hear the true gospel week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, and be cold to it, and never bow your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Friends, there's a payday coming someday. It won't be good. One day the books are going to be open. And so if you're here today and your heart's never been turned to the Lord, keep coming. I pray that one day the Lord would grant you faith and repentance. It could be today. Surrender. Give your life to Christ. Stop trusting in the fact that you come to church regularly or that your parents were leaders in your church growing up. Humble yourself before the Lord and be saved. But more likely, there's many others in this room who are truly born again. You've been coming week after week, and you know the answers to these four questions, and you've been equipped to share your faith. Some of you even read the book already. By the way, there's some copies left out there if you didn't get yours last week. Some of you even went to the class. But you've yet to share your faith with anybody. That's being a hearer only. It's not enough to say, amen, Brother Keith, I like that five-part sermon series on evangelism. What's next? You've become that person Charles Spurgeon talked about who views preaching as a spectator sport. 
No. The point is be equipped so that you can be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So a few months ago, I went to Brother Lawrence, who is our missions and evangelism pastor. And I said, Brother Lawrence, we're coming out of COVID. I believe the Lord wants to do great things in our church. And I want you to develop a plan to train our people to do evangelism, but more importantly, a way to put that into action. We want you to be doers of the word you've heard these five weeks and not hearers only. And Brother Lawrence, as he always does, said, yes, sir. And he came up with a good plan, and he's going to come share it with you now. So, Brother Lawrence, you come. Well, thank you, Brother Keith, for this series of messages. It's been very helpful. And think about it this way. If you were on a sports team and you had a coach, that coach would be preparing a game plan for you and sharing it with you in practice every week. And that is what we're going to do today. We're going over our game plan as a church so that we can get the gospel from our hearts, our mouths, into our community. And that's what we'll look at in the next 10 or 15 minutes. So the four-part plan of our game plan is this. First, we must prepare our hearts and our lives and our minds to share the gospel. We'll look at that. Then we must pray for those around us and ask God to open their hearts and ask God to guide us. And then we must care for them, show God's love, build bridges, and meet some needs in their lives. And finally, that last step, that critical step, putting the word into practice is sharing the good news. We'll look at some ways to do that here today. So the last few weeks and months, we've helped you as a church to learn the basics of the gospel We've used an outline that's very simple, God, man, Christ response. I've told you last week, but I prepared a little track that you can keep with you and help you to remember this and even share this as the scriptures right inside of it. Better than that, even I urge you to memorize these passages of scripture so that you'll have them right on your, the tip of your tongue when the Holy Spirit gives you an opportunity. So be ready to share with these tracts and memorized verses. There's many on the table right across the, the lobby there. But next, we must reconcile ourselves with God and others. We can't reconcile ourselves with God. That's His work. But we can uh, keep short accounts in our sin and, and repent. You've got to begin, as Brother Keith just mentioned, with a right relationship with God. You can't be a spirit-empowered witness without that right relationship. So that's the first step. And have short accounts with God. Don't live hypocritical lives that uh, will hinder you from sharing because the last thing a carnal Christian does is want to share the gospel with others. So be ready and let the Holy Spirit flow through your life. And then once you have a right vertical relationship with your Heavenly Father, we must have right relationships with others in our lives. That begins with our family. It begins with the closest people in our lives, right around us, our co-workers, our dear friends. You cannot be right with God and still have broken relationships with others. Reconciled relationships will clean the channel in your life so that the love of God can flow through you to others around you. The gospel will move 
through these right relationships. So that's essential in preparing us reconcile to God and others. And then live a holy and obedient life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. One of our theme verses for uh, this evangelism strategy is uh, from Matthew 5, verses 14 through 15. It says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The essential root of personal evangelism is a life that has been transformed by a personal relationship with Christ. That is the foundation. It says you are the light of the world. This is flowing out of who we are in our relationship with Him. It's not something we have to gin up out of a sense of guilt in our lives. If we're walking with God every day and He is the love of our lives, we can't help but talk about Him. And that's part of this strategy is to, to develop such a close relationship with Christ that we want to talk about Him to others. We can't even help it. And uh, that is a key. And when we're walking daily with the Holy Spirit and living in obedience to Jesus' commands, we can't help but be salt and light to those around us. Does your daily lifestyle give supporting evidence to the life-changing character of the gospel message? that you've been called to share? Think about that. I think one of the biggest hindrances to personal evangelism is shame over our own sin and not wanting to be called a hypocrite because we're not living what we preach. But we must begin in this preparation phase by living out what we preach. And then identify unbelievers in your circle of influence. I think about this as I've been in the church for my whole life. It's hard to... Focus on close relationships I have that are, that are not believers. But if we look closely enough, we'll find plenty of unbelievers in our lives. Stop to think about and list these kind of people in areas of family. You know that there's maybe even your own kids or your own parents in your home that, that don't know the Lord, your husband or your wife. That's, that happens and we need to begin right there. But then other relatives, we can see that most of us have people in our lives that aren't all Christians. It could be your cousin or your aunt or uncle or something like that, grandparents. But there's people out there that you know and love that aren't believers. You need to begin listing them and praying for them. Close friends, people you spend time with, those you talk with about important things, participate with in hobbies and recreation. You might play golf with someone that's not a believer or do other fun things in your life. You know them, you love them, you love spending time with them, but they're missing that relationship with Christ. You need to begin with those people, praying for them and sharing with them. Then neighbors and associates, co-workers, classmates, students or at school, teammates. There's all kinds of people in your daily life that you cross paths with that don't know the Lord. You need to begin listing them and praying for them. And then just acquaintances, people you casually meet or maybe people you don't meet more than one time, but God has divine appointments for each one of us. And we must begin at this preparation phase by identifying them and praying specifically for them. That leads us to that second phase of praying for unbelievers in our lives. We must first pray to ask God to use us 
as his witness to report for duty every day and ask him to use us. And you know what? If you pray that prayer, he will. He'll answer those prayers because he's looking for a willing servant who will do his work. And then begin praying for your neighbors. Last week I introduced a resource called Bless Every Home. It's an online resource and something that we can do uh, very easily to sign up. There's little cards back on the table across the thing if you uh, want to sign up or get uh, that from your church email that I sent out this past week. But when you do that, it will open your eyes to the names and addresses and you'll be able to start a more detailed strategy of how you're going to reach your specific neighbors beginning with prayer. And then ask to pray with unbelieving neighbors or coworkers about their needs. You know, people rarely reject sincere prayer. In fact, I believe the most natural way to shift the conversation to spiritual things is by asking someone if you can pray for them. And then that opens the door. It changes the direction of the conversation, not usually in an awkward way. And then, as you do that, faithfully intercede. Ask God to answer the prayers that they've asked for, but to open their hearts to the gospel. Pray for God to engineer circumstances in the lives of others to draw them to himself and to his son, Jesus Christ. As you pray for the lost people in your life, watch to see where God is working in their lives. And when you become aware of needs, that will be your invitation to join God and show his love to the needy person. That brings up our next point in our strategy, caring, or care. To build bridges to learn about others' needs and struggles. It, it takes uh, contact in someone's life to make a real impact in their lives. And so we must know a little about them, what's going on in their lives to begin meeting their needs. You can build these bridges of relationships in a variety of ways, showing interest in them during special times of joy and stress. If you know something's going on in your neighbor's family, their mother is sick, or they've had a serious issue with a child, things like that, or anything, that's a time that you can begin to connect with them. They'll be more open than at other times. You can also build bridges through shared interests or hobbies. And then, show God's love by meeting their needs in a practical ways. Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I've loved you, you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus' simple command to love one another is very easy to understand, but it's often difficult to put into practice. The quality of our love should match that of Jesus' love for us, demonstrated through self-sacrifice and meeting our needs. When we love others, we will meet their needs. The most effective way to show the world that we are Christ's disciples is to love others unconditionally. He told us that himself. And anytime we want to get in someone else's life, it involves taking a little bit away from our own selfish desires and selfish pursuits. We must sacrifice a bit to get into someone else's life, sacrifice our time, maybe even some emotional strain that you might share with someone. But it takes love 
to get into their lives. And when you allow God's love to flow through you, people will experience God through you. They will know that they have been loved by a heavenly father and they will begin to sense his invitation to become part of his family by adoption, by the saving grace of his son. That begins with you being the channel of his love in their lives. Some practical ways to meet others' needs are to take them a meal when they are sick or in need. Help them when they are away by doing things around their house or yard. Driving them somewhere as they need that. You can even prepare and take them gift bags as one widow in our church has done recently as a demonstration of love and kindness to your neighbors. And then open your lives and homes. Show hospitality and kindness. This is a critical thing because uh, our homes should be welcoming to our neighbors, not closed off fortresses. Make an effort to spend time out in your front yard or walking down the street Engage others in conversation. Plan and host a cookout or block party for your neighbors. This works best if several of your neighbors bring their grills to the front sidewalk, as our neighbors have done several times, and sit on lawn chairs in our front yards. Most of us have our grill in the back, and we kind of like have our little refuge in the back, and no one else can see or join in with that. But if you do it in the front, it's a, a lot more different dynamic. You may also hold a Christmas or other holiday party for your neighbors. That's, these are some strategic ideas. And we want this to end up creating an embassy of heaven that represents our loving God to our neighbors. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Where does an ambassador work? In an embassy. And our home is a little outpost of heaven right in your neighborhood. Whatever kind of neighborhood you live in, it might be an apartment, it might be another kind of situation, but God wants that to be an extension of His kingdom and His light right where you live. He's placed you there to represent him to your neighbors and he makes his appeal to them to be saved through you. So each believer's home is a little embassy of heaven and it's strategically important to extending Christ's kingdom in the world. And the last thing on our points of strategy is share. We must establish the relationships as we've talked about through these first few things and then bring up God's name in conversation and testify of his goodness to you and your family. There's no substitute for talking and mentioning the name of God, the name of Jesus in the conversation. You can't have the gospel without that. This is a critical part. As part of this sharing, we must ask diagnostic questions to determine where that person is in their spiritual life, what kind of relationship they may or may not have with Christ. There's a good place for your own personal testimony in here of how God has worked in your life. You can even bring up specific answers to prayer or something like that that would help connect that person to see that God is real and He's real to you and He can be real to them. And then a critical thing that we want to begin very soon in our church is to challenge you to start a home or office Bible study 
with a few of your neighbors or coworkers. I know many in our church have done that over the years, and some might still be doing it now. But we want this to be something as we create little embassies of heaven to become more widespread in our church, that more and more people would take an opportunity to have a little Bible study in their home with their neighbors and where they could learn and discuss God's Word. And I've got a little resource I'd like for us to go through. It's called Good News for You. It's a seven-part series on the Gospel of John. It's very evangelistic. It doesn't take a lot of preparation on your part or knowledge, but it just takes that first step of getting the ball rolling. We're going to have a training to help these new Bible studies and leaders get started on July 17th at uh, 4 o'clock in room 245. I encourage you, you'll hear more about that, but think about it and even begin praying about it now that God would use you in that way. You can also invite those you know to come with you to church and Bible study where they'll hear the gospel here every single week or share the gospel with a tract. So as you continue to pray, cultivate relationships and show God's love, you'll reach a point where you need to confront them with the claims of Christ. And that's what we want to do through this gospel presentation. Here's the plan. Let's be doers of the word. Amen. Thank you, Brother Lawrence. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. Doers of the word, not hearers only. I'm glad you've been here to hear these past five Sundays, but now the challenge is to put it into practice. We need the help from the Lord to do that, don't we? There's all sorts of reasons that we could find for not doing it. And we need the Lord's help that he would help us to do it. So let's do that just now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's just walk through these four strategy steps and just ask the Lord to help us on each one. Now, Father in heaven, uh, many of us have gone to many training sessions and we are being prepared. Lord, we know the answers to the four questions. But Father, I pray you prepare our hearts and our minds and our bodies to put into action those things that we've heard. Help us not to merely be hearers, that's essential, but to be doers of the word in days and weeks and months ahead. And Father, help us to be prayerful. We know that uh, if the laborers uh, build the house, they labor in vain if the Lord's not in it. And so, Lord, we want you to build this house of evangelism. Make it part of our church's DNA. Lord, I pray you would fill um, this baptistry week by week with those who are coming to saving faith, not for our accolades, but for the glory of God. And then, Father, help us uh, to truly care about the needs, physical and spiritual, of our community. Lord, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul, who said, Brother, my heart's desire... Prayer to God for Israel is their salvation. Father, sometimes people hand us literature and knock on our doors and um, their motivation is their own merit. They're trying to earn your favor. But Father, for Christians, uh, we are motivated to go out for the glory of Christ, but also because we believe the Bible is true, that there is heaven or hell awaiting every soul. And so, Father, give us a sense of urgency that we may share what Christ has done for us and what the Bible says about how to have forgiveness. Father, give us boldness. We need courage, Lord, to do this in a world, in many cases, who doesn't want to hear. Father, as a doctor gives good medicine, not because it tastes good, but because it's what is necessary to bring help. Lord, we've been praying for revival and awakening in our nation. And what we need is for lost people 
to become saved people. And the way you've chosen to do that is by one saved person proclaiming this gospel message to a lost person and the Holy Spirit using that to bring about salvation. Would you do it multiplied thousands of times over for the glory of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org. Thank you.